Uh, my name's DJ, hi. If you're with us for the very first time or the first time in a long time, thanks so much for tuning in. It's great to have you with us and I hope you're doing okay wherever you are. If you're a regular part of the Newvine family, then welcome back and thanks for staying connected in this way. Well, would you think for, with me for a minute of a time in your life when uh, an event or a series of events turned your life upside down? Either suddenly or because of a succession of circumstances, you found your normal, settled, comfortable, maybe even happy existence turned on its head. Now, it shouldn't be too hard for us in light of the last couple of years, but even beyond COVID. When I was 25, I found myself plunged into a profoundly difficult period. Now, to put it in perspective, nobody died. So in some ways, what I went through was nothing near as painful as what you might have been through in your life. But all the same, it was a deeply disruptive and disorienting event. Some backstory. Well, for five years, I'd been touring as a professional Christian musician, or at least a, a singer, which is someone who hangs around with musicians. And in case you're wondering, no, you haven't heard of us. We were probably likely the most famous band that no one's ever heard of. But we worked hard. We traveled about 40 weeks of the year. Uh, we played to thousands of people every week, doing what we felt God had called us to do. We played in high schools, we played in churches, auditoriums, public halls, memorial halls, jails, juvenile justice centers, and often they let us out at the end, which was good. Sometimes we packed out the auditoriums and sometimes it was just us and the guy locking up afterwards. But uh, we toured extensively across Australia, up and down the East Coast. And our ministry philosophy was simple. Using music as a common language, connect with young people, speak hope and share what we could about Jesus as appropriate. And you know, I'm, I'm really grateful for those years. It was a, a wonderful, difficult time, but I also met Louise, my wife, during that time. Uh, actually, I was kind of like a home delivered husband, kind of like Hello Fresh, but kind of Hello Hubby. Uh, that's a story for another time, however. What's relevant for today is that after a brutal tour schedule for three years straight, we were on the cusp of the next step, New Zealand. Uh, actually, seriously, we were talking about touring New Zealand. There was, we were about to record our second album. There was talk of gigs in America and things were looking uh, really, really interesting. But more importantly, we were doing what we loved and loving what we did. And then my world came crashing down, or at least I did. I collapsed, literally, not on stage, but next to it after every performance, almost every day. It was a mystery illness that literally paralyzed me. It was like my body shut down so it could just focus on basic functions like a heartbeat, breathing, those old things. But for the front man in a band which relied on high energy performances to win over sometimes skeptical crowds in jails and uh, even more skeptical crowds in high schools, to be physically incapacitated was a problem, uh, not only for me, but also for the band. So after a month of trying to push on and press through, I knew it was time. Initially, I thought I was just taking some time off to get tested, find out what was going on. But the day that I drove away from the band, which by this time included Louise, my now wife, I knew it was the end of the road for me with that band. It was the end of the life that I'd loved, the ministry that I thought I'd been called to, with so many good things seemingly still ahead. Well, long story short, 
after months of every test known to man, it turned out I was burnt out, physically, adrenally, completely, mentally, just exhausted. Now, my story is not your story. Very likely it pales in comparison to what you've been through, but it was for me a very confusing, challenging period of my life. What about you? What's your story? What circumstances turn your life upside down? Something taken from you, or maybe someone taken from you. A car crash, or a stock market crash. An accident at work, or an affair close to home. The time that life rudely and without warning most likely plunged you from what felt like the lazy, hazy days of summer into a long, dark night, a cold winter of the soul. Well, to shift gears briefly, in this series over the last 12 weeks, as Luke said, we've talked about the Psalms as songs for every season. We've worked our way through nearly a dozen of the 150 Psalms collected together and carefully arranged in our Bibles, which served as the, the hymn book of ancient Israel in its time. We've talked about the different types of Psalms for different moments in Israel's worship of God. And in the Psalms, we find different forms and categories of Psalms, some of which we've touched on and some of which we haven't. But for example, hymns of praise, wisdom Psalms, creation Psalms, thanksgiving Psalms, royal Psalms, messianic Psalms, pilgrimage Psalms, and uh, the most common category by far, the lament Psalms, the Psalms of complaint, sometimes what we call imprecatory Psalms, these Psalms of pouring out plea and pleading to God. And the big idea of the series is that in the Psalms, we find, as Luke said last week, a prayer language, a set of songs for all the seasons of life. And in them, we see that genuine, honest to God faith can praise God and recognize his goodness in the high points of life, but also bring anger and angst and anxiety to him in the low points when things and perhaps even God just don't make sense. Well, Martin Luther, the great 16th century church reformer, said it like this, everyone in whatever situation he may be finds in that situation psalms and words that fit his case, that suit him as if they were put there just for his sake so that he could not put it better himself or find or wish for anything better. Obviously, Martin Luther was a fan of the Psalms. And so was his French counterpart, Jean Calvin, who said similarly, I'm in the habit of calling this book, the Psalms, the anatomy of all parts of the soul. For not an affection will anyone find in himself, an image of which is not reflected in this mirror, in fact, in the Psalms. Nay, all the grief, sorrows, fears, misgivings, hopes, cares, anxieties, in short, all the disquieting emotions with which the minds of men are wont to be agitated, the Holy Spirit hath here pictured. There we go. Well, today, after 12 weeks at ground level looking at individual Psalms, I want to help us today take a drone's eye view, if you like, to hover over the whole collection to help us pick out a pattern best seen from helicopter height. It's a pattern in the Psalms which parallels one in our own lives. And it's a pattern that I think is also profoundly relevant to us in this particular moment in time on at least several levels. So here's today's big key idea, the big takeaway. In the Psalms, taken as a whole, 
we see a pattern of life. A pattern where comfortable, contented circumstances are suddenly disrupted by crises, confusion, and sometimes outright chaos. Then over time, most often by God's grace, he brings us through those difficult and disorienting times into seasons of new hope, new life, new possibility, and new faith. And if we're open to it, these changes of season, the descent into darkness and the re-emergence into light are when we grow. Well, there it is, that's it. But before we dig into that big idea and see it in the Psalms, firstly, uh, an important sidebar on reading the Psalms today. Now, if I may, I'm gonna be a little bit provocative for a moment. If you don't regularly read the Bible because you're new to faith or of no faith or you're not sure about faith, we'll, we'll just let this bit pass you by. But if you do or have read the Psalms, even occasionally, even once upon a time in a Sunday school far, far away, then just between you and me, have you ever found yourself a little bewildered by some bits? Bits that are hard to comprehend, even a bit hard to stomach. Well, if so, that's okay for a couple of reasons. Firstly, even though Luther and Calvin and others of us through the ages have found real spiritual resonance with the Psalms, even though we regard them as Christian scripture, it is still true that they were written in a time when wars were waged nigh constantly because good arable land was a matter of survival for your tribe. It was a time of brutal battles, ruthless rulers, often who thought they, not God, were God. It was also a time when a cut today could kill you from sepsis tomorrow because there were no antibiotics or effective medicines. It was also a time of polygamy, slavery, idolatry, and even human sacrifice. So it was a time when threats surrounded your life uh, commonly and frequently. It's natural, therefore, that if there are bits that seem to us today to be from a, a different time and place, there are. But secondly, we also read the Psalms today, not just from across the centuries, but from across the cross. That is, while there is, of course, continuity between the Old Testament people of God and New Testament followers of Jesus, their shared stories, shared scriptures, shared spiritual heritage, we also read the Psalms today from a different vantage point, from the far side of Jesus, if you like. Now, this is a bit tricky, but it's important. Followers of Jesus from the first century to the 21st century have believed that while there's continuity with the Old Testament and the Old, uh, uh, Old Testament people of God, a radical new thing happened in Jesus. Firstly, they believe that Jesus himself is God's way of making himself fully and unambiguously known to us by becoming like us. So while those BC, before Christ, by the prophets, by the Torah, undoubtedly knew God truly, they did not know God fully in the same way that we do now because of Christ, according to the Orthodox Christian faith. Uh, Christ is the visible image of God, the full revelation of who God is and what he's like and how he would have us live our life today in the new covenant era. And as the disciple John writes, the word who was with God and was God became flesh and we have seen his glory. That means that God spoke, to, spoke himself to us in Jesus. Now, there's a whole sermon or a whole sermon series, maybe even a Bible college degree in that. 
unpacking those ideas. But in short, if you've read the Psalms at times and thought, that was weird, well, remember, yes, we can still find rich treasures, comforts, and spiritual resonances in the Psalms. That's the point of this whole sermon series. But if we find matters that confuse us, which don't seem to ethically accord with our faith in Christ today, then we shouldn't be too concerned. Different culture, different time, different covenant, and a cross in the middle. Well, let's pick that up another time. But for now, my job today and the rest of our time together is to do two things. Firstly, to wrap up the series on the Psalms. And secondly, to help us answer the question, how are the Psalms taken as a whole, able to speak to us today? Okay, so let's go. To help us see the pattern that I've been talking about, I'm drawing today on the work of Walter Brueggemann, one of the world's leading Old Testament scholars. Now, if you're fact-checking me this morning, Brueggemann is a distinguished, very highly regarded scholar, but like anyone I cite, you may not agree with everything he said. Often, I don't agree with everything I've said. Uh, that's okay, but we can still find helpful things. And in fact, I think what Brueggemann uh, gives us from the Psalms is very helpful. Brueggemann suggests that the Psalms can be broadly grouped in this way. Psalms of orientation, Psalms of disorientation, and Psalms of reorientation. He takes all of those other categories I talked about earlier and he reorganizes them under these three umbrellas, not trying to account for all of the Psalms. Some don't seem to fit this very easily. Some do different things in different parts of the Psalm. But generally speaking, he sees this pattern in the Psalms and sometimes in individual Psalms. Okay, well, this is the fun part. It's the bit though that makes us work a little. So stick with me because there's treasures to be found if we dig for them in this idea. Hope you've got shovels ready. Here we go. Brueggemann suggests that not only generally speaking, the, the Psalms can be grouped into these three types, but that a good number of the Psalms themselves follow this pattern. And furthermore, he says that human life itself matches this pattern much of the time. And either we find ourselves in a season of orientation, of disorientation, or of a new or a reorientation or we're in the movement from one to another. So let's unpack this, uh, what he means by seasons of orientation, psalms of orientation, etc., and so on. Let's start with that first one, seasons of orientation. Brueggemann says this, he says, sometimes human life consists in satisfied seasons of well-being that evoke gratitude for the constancy of blessing. In other words, these are the times when all is well with the world, when life seems to play by the rules and so does God. You can count your blessings one by one and give God the glory, glory, those kind of times. And matching these seasons, Brueggemann says, are what he calls Psalms of orientation, which in a variety of ways articulate the joy, delight, goodness, coherence, and reliability of God, God's creation, and God's governing law. Now, there's some examples there as well. These uh, that he calls the Psalms of orientation are what I call the James Brown Psalms. Now, you know the song, right? I feel good. I feel good. I knew that I would. I feel nice, like sugar and spice, so good, so nice. I got, you can fill in the blank there yourself. I got you, I got Faith, I got Paid Today, I got Ben and Jerry's chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream, whatever it might be. Now, even if you're not a person of faith, maybe you can relate to times like this, even if it's been a while of late. 
But unfortunately, as well as these upbeat seasons of certainty, psalms from the godfather of soul, James Brown, so to speak, life more often than not, even precisely in these seasons, throws us a curveball, a crisis. And this brings us to what I call the Johnny Cash Psalms. I fell into a burning ring of fire. You know the song. You're singing it in your head now, I reckon. I went down, 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 and the flames went higher. And it burned, burned, burned. And again, you can fill in the blanks there. And I know that song's about love and all of that, but, um, but there we are. Well, what I call these Johnny Cash seasons and Psalms, Brueggemann would call seasons of disorientation a mystery illness, a global pandemic. And Brueggemann writes, as well as those good times that we've talked about, life also consists in anguished seasons of hurt, alienation, suffering, and death. These times evoke anxiety, if not anger, resentment, self-pity, even hatred. And accordingly to these seasons of disorientation, he says, we, we have in the Psalms, Psalms, of disorientation. He says, a major move of the Psalms is in the move from an ordered, reliable life to an existence that somehow has run amok. These Psalms give expression to that new reality of disorientation when everything on heaven and earth seems skewed. Now, let's just park the bus for a minute on this thought because Brueggemann adds some what I think are important and helpful ideas to what he says here. He writes, it's a curious fact that the church has, by and large, continued to sing songs of orientation in, an increasingly, in a world increasingly experienced as disoriented. That might be commendable. It could be an act of bold defiance in which these psalms of order and reliability are flung in the face of disorder. Such a counterstatement insists God does, in any case, govern, rule and order, regardless of how the data seem to appear, regardless of how life actually feels and seems in those moments. But he goes on to say this, at the best, this is only partly true. He says, it's my judgment that this action of the church is less a defiance guided by faith and much more frightened, numb denial and deception that does not want to acknowledge or experience the disorientation of life. And he goes on to say that genuine faith is not afraid to experience the world as it really is, not to pretend that it's different to what the world and even us experience to be. Because in fact, he says, to withhold parts of life from that conversation is in fact to withhold part of life from the sovereignty of God. Thus, these Psalms make the important connection. Everything in life must be addressed to God who is the final reference for all of life. Now, obviously he's writing for people of faith here and he's writing as a person of faith himself. So if, if these do, bits uh, don't meet you where you're at in your journey, that's okay. But maybe there's something in the bigger picture that will be helpful to you. What Brueggemann is telling us is that these Psalms of disorientation, these lament Psalms that Sal and Luke and others in the series have talked about, go back and listen to those messages if you haven't. These Psalms give us a prayer language. They give us songs of faith to sing precisely in our dark nights of the soul. They give us permission to grapple with the pain of living in a deeply disordered, fallen world, where even though we've poured out our prayers, like Jesus on Gethsemane, loved ones still die. Cancer still kills. 
Senseless violence happens. Children are trafficked and robbed of their childhood. And where we ourselves must face up to the fact that we have a shelf life, that tomorrow is uncertain, and sometimes life simply just sucks. But these Psalms also give us a poetic place, a platform on which we can confront that pain, confront that darkness of life in a way that doesn't abandon faith, but takes that pain and confusion and disappointment to God, not away from God. And it takes it out on God in a way so that we don't take it out on other people. And furthermore, these Psalms point us to the importance of doing so, not just as individuals in our moments of personal pain, as important as that is, but it points us to the importance of doing so as a community in solidarity in our suffering, in moments of shared civic and communal pain. And so we find in the Psalms, we have not just individual lament Psalms, individual Psalms of disorientation, we also have community lent lament psalms for those times when we together experience pain, pandemics, loss of life, loss of livelihoods, loss of the old certain comfortable place even that the church once had in society. When tragedy struck or threatened, these psalms gave the Israelite community a means to cry out together, to grieve together, to express that anguish, fear, and yet faith in a communal way. But it's got me thinking, when during the pandemic have we gathered, and I mean online, not necessarily in person even, when have we gathered together to lament the loss of life around the world and in our own community? The loss of health for people who've been struck down by COVID-19. But for others, the loss of wages, the loss of jobs, the loss of business income, the loss of mental well-being, the loss of uh, even some of the freedoms that we didn't know we had until we've had to give them up, at least for a while. Well, it seems to me that instead of gathering together of late, we've pulled apart on these things for want of a legitimate outlet for our collective grief, our individual grief within that. We've started instead to vent our grief and anger and anguish, not with others, but at others on Twitter or Facebook. And as I've read the Psalms again, in this season of confusion and conflict, I've wondered with Brueggemann whether this lost art of community lament, this communal lament, whether it's left us less able to confront tragedy and loss in a kind of healthy way, to process it in a healthy way, if indeed there is a healthy way. But it's important also to say this, with one or two honourable exceptions, and Sal walked us through one of those in Psalm 88, even the Psalms of lament don't usually end on a note of disorientation and despair. The vast majority of these honest to God, heartfelt pleas shift gear and end, like the book of Psalms as a whole, on a strong note of faith, if not praise. Let's look at Psalm 13 briefly, for example. I'll let you read it through there. It starts out with that plea and that pleading and that cry to look on me. But then it finishes with this promise of, of, of praise, this note of faith, a remembrance that God has been good in the past and a hope for the future that that will prove true again. 
Here briefly some other examples, I won't read through them, but they're on the screen there for you to look at. And while you're looking at them, let me say, often these Psalms, they seem structured to evoke within us a movement from disorientation to a more hopeful determination. They seem to reorient us from despair to something new. And that brings us to the final form of the Psalms. Now, these are what I call not the Johnny Cash Psalms, but the Johnny Nash Psalms. Now, for those of you too young to remember, Johnny Nash wrote this little song. I can see clearly now the rain is gone. I can see all obstacles in my way. Gone are the dark clouds that had me blind. It's going to be a bright, bright, sunshiny day. Well, Brueggemann refers to these as seasons of reorientation where life we find also consists in terms of surprise when we experience the new gifts of God, when joy breaks through the despair, when where there has been only darkness, there now is light. The clouds part, the sky's clear, the fog or maybe the lockdown lifts. And corresponding to these new seasons are what Brueggemann calls the Psalms of reorientation. He writes, most frequently the Psalms make a second decisive move from disorientation to new orientation. That is, the Psalms regularly bear witness to the surprising gift of new life, just when none had been expected. That new orientation that is not a return to the old stable orientation, for there's no such going back. The psalmist know we can never go home again. Rather, the speaker, the community of faith are often surprised by grace when there emerges in the present life a new possibility that's inexplicable, wrought by the inscrutable power and goodness of God. And this is why I think that the Psalms and this framework for seeing a pattern in the Psalms is so helpful for us today. Let's be honest. The last few years we have been toiling in and hopefully through now a time of confusion, of struggle, of challenge, both as a church and as a pandemic world. And although we're far from out of the woods, perhaps it seems that there are early signs of a new moment coming, not the old order re-established, but something new, something fraught with risk for sure, but something in which and through which we can grow become better, not bitter, as they say, come together, not pull apart. Because as Craig Groeschel said recently, a divided world needs a united church more than ever. Now, you may of course still be grieving what's been lost, either at a personal level or for the community. You may be fearful of what could happen, what might be down the road, that's natural. But I believe that from the Psalms, we can draw courage to see by God's grace that this new season opening up before us is brimming with possibility and opportunity. It's not the old normal, but it is something new with new gifts from God to grab hold of with both hands. Maybe it's time for us to sing a new song to the Lord. Okay, so what does all this mean for us today? Well. The bigger takeaway for us today is not just life consists of seasons, but that through the movement from one season to the next, those are the moments that we grow. 
if we don't pull back in fearful resistance to what God be, might be wanting to do in and through us in a new season. I began today by telling the story of my own move from comfort to crisis, my own journey into disorientation and disruption. But that was only half the story. For several years after crashing and burning out, I experienced ongoing episodes of paralysis. I had chronic fatigue for a number of years. There was very little I could do at first during that time of rest and recovery. And in it, however, I unlearned some really important untruths. I unlearned an identity based on trying to please God and others. An identity played literally, uh, built literally on playing to the crowd. I unlearned a life which talked the talk of grace, but which walked the walk of trying to win God's affection. I unlearned a life of thinking that I had to be doing things for God to please God. And I unlearned it by facing the reality that there was literally at this point in my life, nothing I could do for God. There was nothing I could do to make him love me more. There was nothing that I could do to make him love me less. And I unlearned it by experiencing in that moment his grace and love more richly, more intimately, more personally than I'd ever known in all of my busyness. Because I'd been too busy to be the very thing that I wanted most of all, just to be loved as I was without having to do anything to earn it. And then having unlearned some of those things, I started learning new things. I started Bible college. The study I'd been too busy for was one of the few things that I could now actually do. I also learned that I loved it. And that started me on the road to 10 years or more of theological education, eventually PhD. Those details aren't so important. What matters is that God used the painful event of disorientation taking me out of my comfortable, settled life to reorient me onto a new pathway that led me here today. And I'm grateful. I'm too old now to crowd surf or win over skeptical crowds of high schoolers. Uh, so I'm grateful that God put me on a new path. But what about you? Where are you at in that cycle? And for those of you who, uh, or us, who call New Vine our church, what about for us as a church? Where do you think we are in that cycle? For those of us who seem to seek, seek to uh, follow Jesus in this brave new world in which we've awoken, uh, what does this mean for us today and going forward? Maybe it is time for a new season, for a new song, a song of faith, a song of opportunity and possibility and praise. And in singing it, May that move our hearts to a place where we're ready to see the new thing that God might be wanting to do in us and for us and through us in a community that needs us more than ever. Okay, so some quick questions to end with. One, where are you in this cycle of comfortable orientation, confusing disorientation or new orientation? Where are you in that kind of cycle? Secondly, if you're a follower of Jesus, what do you think God might be saying or doing in you in this season? What might he be moving you from? Where might he be moving you to? Maybe literally, but maybe spiritually, maybe in your thinking, your heart, your own kind of orientation towards life and God and the world. So what do you think God might be saying? Thirdly, 
What courage might you need to have to be honest with God, to be honest with others, or to be honest with yourself about what this might mean for you? And finally, as I've already said, if you're part of New Vine, how would you answer those questions for us as a church today? Where are we in this cycle? Uh, what do you think God might be saying or doing in us in this season? What courage do we need to have going forward? If you're not part of New Vine, thanks again for joining us. We really um, appreciate you tuning in and we hope we might see you again either here online next week or in person if you live in the Newcastle area. You can go to newvine.org.au for details. For now, may God bless you and may you find in the Psalms something which resonates with your own experience of life, but causes you to look up and look forward to the new thing and the new song that God may be wanting for you to sing. God bless.